What's up, Life Center? How we doing? How we doing? Who's glad to be here today? I'm glad to be here. Again, if you're a first-time guest, we welcome you to stop by our um, guest center in the back. We've got a gift for you. We want to welcome you here. I'm glad everybody's here. If you are a guest, I'm ecstatic you're here. If you're not a guest, I'm ecstatic you're here. Guess what we have in common? I'm ecstatic that you're here. That's right. So this is the month of love. Right? This is the month of love. Everybody should know that. And this is February. And this weekend, on Friday and Saturday, we are going to celebrate that. We're having a couple's weekend on Friday night and Saturday. It's called Ignite. If you are at least college age and you are dating, or if you're married, if you're engaged, if you've been married two years, five years, or 50, or 60, it doesn't matter. You will enjoy this weekend. It's Friday night and Saturday. You can go online and register. There is a $25 charge per couple. We will provide childcare if needed. It's going to be fun. It's going to be informative, and it's going to make us better. We're having a special guest speaker on Saturday, so you want to be here, and uh, I'll get into more of that later, but you want to be here this weekend if you're dating, married, especially if you want to be married. It's a good place to be, right? So in cooperation with the seasons, we're loving it up this month with a series that's going to help us be better spouses and teach us how to be a good spouse if we're not one yet. So if you're sitting here, you're not married, but one day you want to be, don't tune us out or not show up for the next three weeks because you will learn things that will help you be a better spouse. And if you are a spouse already, then you can get better. I can get better, right, Tawana? I can get better. Andy Stanley said this, become the person that you're looking for is looking for. Follow that. It took me a second. Become the person you're looking for is looking for. So if you want someone with integrity, become a person of integrity. If you want a person that's happy, become a happy person. If you want a person that's full of peace, become a person of peace. And there's only one way we can do that, and that's through Jesus Christ. We become better through him because in him we are the best person that we could ever be. So that's where we're going with this in this series. Everything in this series will be based in scripture and will teach you how to be better at what you have been called to be. We've all had dreams and images of what marriage and what it should look like. I like to say marital bliss. We've all had visions of marital bliss, and Disney's helped us paint that picture very nicely. You know, there, there's the, the prince and the, and the princess, the prince charming and the slipper and the carriage and all this stuff. And we have this, this image of marital bliss of, of time together and vacations and relaxation and romance and chocolate-covered strawberries and all this kind of stuff. And then retirement. And, and we have this image that we have burned in our mind that we're going to find this magical person and they're going to complete us. Right? You complete me. All that stuff. And, and we're going we're gonna to have this, this time that's going to change our world. It's going to be a whole new world like Aladdin. And it's just going to be wonderful. And then reality hits because the laundry isn't done. Toilet seats are left up. The milk goes bad and you want cereal. Is anybody late night cereal eaters? <coughs> Nothing like 10 o'clock at night you go to get your cereal and your milk and the milk's bad. Kids, they happen too. 
In-laws come with the package. I'm blessed. They're not even here, and I'm saying that. Come on. <laughs> money. The number one cause of divorce in the world is money. Sports, work, schedules. You get this because you're living it right now. Life just happens, and it can, it can create conflict and it can create tension that sometimes if we're not on top of things we don't resolve and it grows into something that gets ugly so here's the bad news and, and that's about all i'm going to share right the bad stuff is almost one out of two marriages end in divorce almost one out of two and the stats in church circles are not much better than that and i don't i don't believe that that's god's plan for us and if you're in here and you're divorced, I'm not saying that you're out that that you that you haven't pleased God and that He's angry. No, not, none of that stuff at all. Life has happened to all of us. All we can do is take where we are right now and make ourselves better. We can't go back and change what happened yesterday, last month, or last year. We take this moment and we build from here. So don't don't take it like we're coming down on. No, it's nothing like that at all. But those numbers I don't believe reflect God's plan for our lives. I believe we can do better. I believe that through God, we can do better if we follow his plan for our lives and his plan for our relationships because his word does talk to us about our relationships. So here, here are what I believe are three outcomes to marriage. You're happy, you're content, you're blessed. You get divorced. Or you become an M&M. Married and miserable. And you just refuse to get divorced on principle. I applaud the commitment, but you don't have to be an Eminem. You can transition to the happy, content, and blessed. You don't have to be an Eminem. If you are an Eminem, then you want to be here every Sunday this month, and you want to be here this weekend because things will help you become an un-Eminem. You don't have to be miserable, and you can stay married. You can get happy, and you can like the person you're married to. Who wants to like the person you're married to? Who wants to like the person you marry? Okay. We got engaged people, dating people. We got people all over the spectrum. So we're going to talk to everybody here this month. Just because somebody is married for a long time doesn't mean they're successful or that they're happy. I've seen people married 20, 30, 40, 50 years that I am not taking one word of marital advice from because they're miserable. They just know that they're supposed to be together, so they stay together, and they, they, they stay together on principle, and it's, they're miserable. And I'm not going to take marriage advice from you because I don't want to settle for something less than what God intends for me to have in any area of my life and especially this one. And this series is going to look at four different areas of relationship that will make us better spouses. And some of y'all are saying right now, you're thinking it. I know some people are thinking it right now. I'm not the problem. You're like, come on, pastor. Come on, pastor. Fix them. I've been waiting for this one for two years. This series is going to help me because pastor's going to fix my spouse. No name calling. Come on, come on. <laughs> I'm not the problem. Fix them. I, I'm asking everybody in here that's going to be here this whole month, please make a commitment with me right now. Commit to apply everything in the next three weeks, today and the next three, to you first. To look at it through the lens of how 
How do I measure up to what the Word of God is saying? How am I living my life out compared to what the Word of God says that I should be doing? Am I being the person that God designed me to be? Am I doing everything I can do to make my marriage or my relationship better? There's, there, there's something called the shovel ministry. Who knows what it is? Like four or five of y'all. The shovel ministry is this. Oh, pastor, that was good. Michelle needs this. That was an awesome point, pastor. Ross needs this one. And you shovel it back on him. Or my Lord, he's talking right to my spouse right now. Lord, help him to receive it. Help them to receive what you're saying right now. God just touch their minds and make their heart fertile so they can have this seed planted in their heart. It may be for someone other than you, but let's go together in this and let's say, how does this affect me first? How does, how does this hit me? Where does this hit me? Am I being who God has called me to be? Am I giving everything that I can give to make my relationship better? It's easy to identify someone else's shortcomings and mistakes, but especially when we live with them every day. We know where they fail. We know where they fall. We know where they irritate us. And that one thing they do that just jumps up and down on that one exposed nerve, I'm getting nods and grins because it's true. When you live with someone, you know exactly who they are and, and, and what makes them tick, and you know where they fall and where they fail, and you certainly know what irritates you. So it's easy for us to sit back and say, man, they needed that today. Whew. That was a good one. I hope they listen. But it takes courage. It takes courage to identify and work on our own mess. It takes courage for me to say, yeah, I've messed up there. I, I'm not doing everything that I, I need to do in, in this area. Be the change that you want to see. Because we all have room for improvement. As I was studying through this material, I text Tawana. I'm like, babe, I'm sorry. She said, for what? I said, just because. Because, see, we, if you're up here, you get this first. And you get to, to grieve with yourself a little bit and, send, and see how you failed and see how you haven't quite measured up. And, and I'll be the first to tell you, I text an apology this week. Because of some things that I haven't been doing and, and have fallen short on. So, so let's, let's do this together. Let's get better together and let's commit to not seeing the faults in somebody else, but looking inside of our own selves to see what God is trying to tell us. If you're not a spouse yet, but you want to be someday, this is going to give you a, a biblical foundation, not a secular foundation for who you're going to need to be and how to select the person that you have to share your life with, or you get to share your life with. Let me rephrase that. Because at the end of the day, you have a choice, and you have to say, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with someone. We all took vows when we were married. If you're married, you stood at an altar. I stood right here, about right here somewhere, this way, holding hands like this, saying vows to Tawana. We took vows together, and we repeated them to each other. If you're not married yet, you will do it. Vows are a covenant with your spouse. They're a commitment with your spouse to them. When we got married, it was back in 1993. So it's been, it'll be 26 years this year. 
And we decided, you know, we didn't want to be like everybody else. We're going to write our own vows. So Tawana's grandfather was going to marry us, and he had these books of vows. I think three books he gave us. And he's like, just go through. You can pick and choose, take some stuff out of each one, and make them yours, write your own vows. So we did, man. We sat for hours. I remember sitting in the love seat in her parents' house, writing our vows. And we, I want this, don't want this, want this, don't. And we, we thought we had the perfect set crafted. And there was, there was a part in her vows that, they're obviously very sweet, but there was a part in her vows, if you don't know, I think it's Ephesians 5.22 says, wives, submit to your husbands. Right? So there's a part in her vow that says, I will joyfully submit. There's not a person on God's green earth that wants to joyfully submit. And she's got a great sense of humor, and we're, we're up here getting married, and it's all serious, and her grandfather, who's 95 now, is, is, you know, he's doing his thing, and he's doing a great job, and, and he's, he's reading the vows, and she's repeating after him, and he said, joyfully submit, and she laughed. <laughs> then she said it, but she laughed first. But my point is we stand before God, and we stand before our family and our friends, and we, we make vows to each other. We pledge our love, we pledge our dedication, we pledge our protection, we pledge our faithfulness, and we pledge our life to our spouse, as we should. But as I, as I marry more people, as I perform more marriage ceremonies, and, and I, 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 I read vows to people for them to, to repeat back to each other, I really wish, I, I know it's a joyous moment and we're, we're excited and we just want to get it done and, and we're, we're doing this thing, but I, I see people get married and it's just a word to repeat. And we kind of gloss over the real meaning of those words and I wish people took those vows more seriously and actually paid attention to what they were saying because we were pledging to our spouse that they are now our number blank priority. And today we're going to, that was a long introduction, right? But today we're going to talk about priorities. When we're talking or thinking about our lives, our lifestyle, I believe we should always, always look to God's word and the example that Jesus left. So let's go to Matthew 22. When, when it came to priorities, Jesus, he was very clear. In Matthew 22, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He is my first. Everybody say first. first. And most important priority in my life. My relationship with Jesus Christ is my first priority in my life. I didn't say my ministry was. I didn't say my calling was. I didn't say anything else in this world is first except Jesus and my relationship with him. I've heard all of my life. When someone falls in love with their, some, with their special someone, someone who makes up, you know, you, you, they walk in a room and your heart skips a beat. Your palms get sweaty. You start to sweat a little bit. You start to maybe stutter over your words because that, that one person is in the room. And that happens and it happens and, and you're kind of unnerved and you're just enamored and you want to be everywhere they are and you want to do everything they do. And when you're not together, you're wishing you were. And when you are together, you don't want it to end. You know what I'm saying, right? And, and you're like, I found the one. 
Has anybody ever said, I found the one? I found that person. I found that. I found my one. I found, I found that person. What if in our relationships, what if we framed it like this? I found my two because my one spot is already taken. See, I'm talking about our priorities. It's romantic to say, I found the one, I found the, the, the person that completes me, all that stuff. But if we ver- what we speak becomes life. The power of life and death resides where? In our tongue. And if we're speaking these words, I found the one, you're my one, you're more important to me than anything else in the world. If you said those words to another person, that's, a, a, that's that good intentions, but out of order priorities. Because God should be our first. Nothing else above him. Nothing else taking his place. What if we went into a relationship with the ground rules that your spouse was second in your life? That's about what I expected. Because we, we have this idea that our spouse should be above anything else and everything else. And besides Jesus, besides your relationship with him, yes, they should be. But if you put your spouse in front of your relationship with Jesus, your relationship with Jesus is going to suffer, especially if they don't love Jesus. You're going to be pulled constantly, left or right. You won't be able to, to, to focus on your relationship with him as much as you need to because you're going to have to be focused on them. But if we start a relationship knowing that you are second in my life, I love you. On this earth, you're the most important thing to me. But the most important thing in my life is my relationship with Jesus Christ, and I will not, I will not negotiate on that because you're with me on earth. You make me happy or sad on earth, but he controls my eternity, and I got to be right with him. He's got to be first in my life. What if unmarried people or married people focused on the relationship with Jesus and asked him to send his provision, his provision for their lives instead of looking at dating websites? Match and eHarmony and Farmers Only. Because you don't have to be lonely. That's FarmersOnly.com. Don't get mad at me if you've been on a dating website. That's a funny commercial. You got you to chuckle that a little bit. Because you don't have to be lonely at FarmersOnly.com. There's a, there, if, you ha, if you're a niche, if, if you have like the smallest segment of society, there's a dating website for you. That's, that's the latest trend. But what if instead of actively seeking and pursuing the person because we just need to be with somebody, what if we took that time and sought God and asked him to, to provide us with a perfect person to, to complement who he's called us to be and help us do what he's called us to do? I believe he would honor that. I believe you wouldn't have to look as hard and you could just be living your life and that person will come into your life and it'll be magical. I believe that. See, the Bible says to seek first because as I get closer to him, I become better and I'm better suited for my, for my two. I'm better suited for the person that he's already got waiting for me. I'm better suited for the person that he's got an appointment set for me to meet. Every day I pray for my kids. Every day I pray for my kids' spouses. Every single day. Why? Because it's important. Because they're going to spend the rest of their life with that person. And that person is going to be integrated into our family. 
And I want people integrated into our family that flow with our family. I want God's perfect design to complete our family and, and enhance our family dynamics instead of disrupt them. And I believe the power of prayer can fix those things. I believe the power of prayer can, can help in that situation to help my kids understand they've got to select someone for their life that's going to complement who they are. That's going to add to who they are, but that's going to bring harmony to the family as well. See, I believe we can have it all, and I believe God will give it all to us if we follow his path and if we seek him first. It's all about priorities. If we seek him first, we're going to get what he's designed for us, and it's going to be better than we thought it could be. And after my one, after my relationship with Jesus, comes my two. And that's my relationship with my wife, and it's your relationship with your spouse. Nothing else takes this spot. And this one is tougher than the first one. Nothing else takes this spot. Not work, not my kids, not my friends, nothing. The toughest thing about this assignment is this, keeping my spouse the top priority under Jesus. Why? Because life. Because life. I don't believe anyone that grows distant from their spouse. I don't believe anyone that puts things in front of their spouse does it with the intention of ruining their relationship. I don't believe anything is premeditated in the fact that you let kids come before your wife or your husband. You let your work come before your wife or your husband. Or you let this or whatever it is. I don't think you go into this thinking, I'm going to let this ruin my marriage. I'm going to do this so, so we'll grow distant. I'm going to do this so I can get a divorce. We don't do things for those reasons. We do things with the best of intentions. We go into it thinking, I'm doing the best thing for my family right now. But this is the toughest part about this. We may have the best of intentions, but unless we're intentional, we're going to drop the ball. Why? Because life. Not because you meant to, because life happens, careers happen, business happens, our kids happen, our schedule happens, our family, our friends. You fill in the blank. Whatever keeps you busy, whatever takes you away from home, whatever steals your time, those things unintentionally steal your time and mess up your priorities. Everything pulls at our time, and if we aren't intentional, if we're not non-negotiable, we will fail. What do I mean? Don't answer out loud these next few questions. Do not. Married couples, engaged couples, when was the last time you were on a real date? Where the cell phone wasn't on the table. You weren't scrolling Facebook. It was just the two of you, nobody else. When was the last time you went away? Just the two of you. When was the last time you did something nice unexpectedly, unexpectedly for your spouse without expecting something back? Mm -hmm. When was the last time you expressed how thankful you were for that person that God has brought into your life 
that he has given you, his provision for you. When was the last time that you expressed to them or to somebody else how thankful you were for them? And when was the last time you set aside time for just the two? You see what I'm saying? It's so easy to be busy. It's so easy to mess up our priorities and and to choose something good but neglecting something better. If money's your excuse, that's cheap. Don't use that as, as an excuse. Go take a walk in the park. Be creative. You can do something that doesn't cost anything. Time is the deal. Time is the deal. If you can't afford to go to a hotel, put a tent in your backyard or on your patio or your balcony. If you have an apartment, string some blankets on your balcony and have a camp out. You can do something creative to say, I value you and you are important to me. And yes, life is busy, but we need to take this time to make sure that we're good. We need to make, take this time and make sure that we understand that next to God, we are the most important thing to each other on this planet. I gave you vows. I said these words to you and I am committed to them. And I don't want to let the busyness of life, I don't want to let the things that encroach on our time so much, I don't want to let those things mess up what God has given us. So take time and make time. Don't fall prey to becoming, and this is a big one in America, Don't fall prey to becoming a child-centered marriage. Y'all know my kids are my world. So I'm standing up here telling you, don't become a child-centered marriage. So let's look at this. Kids are important. And it's your responsibility to love them and to raise them and to, to teach them to love Jesus and be responsible adults. They are literally a gift from God. They're a gift from God, and they are amazing, and they change your world, and they they make you feel joy in ways that you never experienced before. But, everybody say but, they are a temporary assignment. They are a temporary assignment. You're going to have them 18, 19, 20, maybe graduate from college at 22, let's say 22 years. If they're millennials, 30. (laughs) sorry couldn't resist but even at 30 that's still temporary they are a temporary assignment at some point they're going to leave and live on their own Tristan's first year of college he didn't have a car and he was he lived away from everybody he was connected to, and man, he was home almost every weekend. He come get me, come get me. So Friday, I'm driving down Charles Street to get him, and then taking him back home. And almost every weekend, every chance he got, he was at home. So this year, as a sophomore, he gets to have his car at college. I think he's been home two weekends since September. So my thinking was the car is at school. Instead of me driving to, to college and picking him up, he's going to be, you know, he'll drive himself to, you know, back and forth. But the car hasn't moved that much. He just stays at school a lot. 
So, see, there's this transition, and as a parent, sometimes that's painful, but that's the way it's supposed to be, and that's what's healthy, is there's this transition that they're leaving, and, and, and they're on their own, and they're becoming adults, and if you've done your job, they're going to be okay. If you've done their job, they're going to be responsible, and if you've done your job as a parent and teaching them values and teaching them to follow and love Jesus, you're not going to have to worry about when people want them to do things that they know they shouldn't do. They're going to make the right decision. They're not always going to make the right decision, but most of the time, they're going to. And when they don't, they'll repent and get back on their feet and keep moving forward. That's what you as a parent are supposed to do. And that's what I as a parent am supposed to do. So what then? So the kids grow up, they transition out, and they leave. What then? Kids are a temporary assignment, but your marriage is till death do you part. Let that sink in a little bit. See, we have this, we have this temptation as a parent in, in today's world to make our kids the center of our world and to make sure they're busy seven nights a week and to make sure they get everything their little heart desires and to make sure no one ever hurts their feelings and to, and to make sure that, they, that they, their world is just this nice little bubble and this little cocoon that everything is perfect. There are no problems. They get whatever they want. They get to do whatever they want, and we are ruining the next generation. Ooh. See, y'all weren't expecting the last sentence, were you? So, so I was spoiled as a kid. I'm not gonna, I was spoiled as a kid. My, my parents gave me everything they could. We weren't, we weren't wealthy by any means. But they provided, and they would try to give us everything that they could give us. But it's not my job to give my kids a perfect life. It's, my, it's not my job to give my kids everything they want. It's not my job to never tell my kids no. That's a word my kids heard and still hear rather frequently. It's my job to teach them, number one, to love Jesus. Number two, to respect people. And number three, to be a good citizen in this world. And if I'm giving them everything they want, I'm never telling them no, that's a problem. Because at some point, they're going to get told no. They're going to have conflict in the workplace. They're going to have something they have to deal with. And if, they, if they've never dealt with anything, they're going to fall apart. So we have this temptation to, to just make the kids our world and, and just become helicopter parents and all those things. And that's, that's our temptation but we have to realize that there are temporary assignments. We can give them, you have to balance what I'm saying. Love your kids. Let them know that they're the third most important thing in your world. And that's okay because you love Jesus first. You love their mom or dad second, and they're right there, man. That's how it is. Because there are temporary assignments, but our spouse and our marriage is till death do us part. It's not until, it's, it's not until we're not happy anymore. It's not until you get on my nerves too much. It's not until we have no purpose because the kids are gone. See, if that, that's, that's what this, this temptation to make the kids the center of our world and do everything for them, that, that makes, if we fall into that, that, temp, that, if we give into that, and we spend 18, 20 years of our lives making them the center of our universe, man, we're doing it. 
We're running event to event to event. We're working our tails off to give them 45 presents at Christmas and 10, 15, 20 on their birthday, and we're doing everything for them. But as mom and dad are working so hard to do all that kind of stuff, where are mom and dad going? They're going like this. Instead of being like this, mom and dad find themselves out here, and when the kids are 20 years old and they go away, suddenly mom and dad have nothing to live for. They have nothing in common. They have no relationship whatsoever. This happened recently to friends of mine. Had two girls. One got a career, moved out, had her house. The other one went to college, graduate school, becoming an attorney, successful kids. They're gone. What do mom and dad do? Scream, fight, yell. Because they don't have a relationship. They made their world about their kids, and now they have nothing in common. Where are they now? Getting a divorce. Suddenly, 60 years old, 58 years old, and I don't like you anymore. And they're getting a divorce. That's not good. That's not what God intended for us to be. We have to be vigilant about keeping our relationship healthy through the kid years. Because they're a temporary assignment. You will always love your kids and as they, as they start to, to, to get some wings and jump around the nest and kind of leave the nest and come back to it, you're going to be more proud than you ever thought you could be. But that's temporary. And then they're going to bring your grandkids back for you to spoil. Not there yet. That's okay. But it'll come. It'll happen. And I hear from Pastor Andrew that having a grandkid has just absolutely changed his life. And it's, it's a whole new world. And he loves it. And I go to their house now. And there's a sliding board in their living room. <laughs> but that's another stage but you want as mom and dad to be able to get to that point and enjoy that grandkid together and having that in common and having that be a, a tie that binds you together and having a solid relationship and having the kids come over and say we're bringing you the grandkid and you're like awesome and the three of you have fun together or four or five my brother has like seven now I think he's getting a great-grandkid in a few months. I'm like, dude, you're not that old. He's like, yeah, I started early. <laughs> you want at that stage in your life, which I, I, I'm not there yet, but I want at that stage in my life to have a relationship that's based on the vows that I took and that I've kept her a priority in my life, and we have a relationship that we can live those years and just be content in each other and be happy and secure. And that can happen if I keep her as my priority under God. He's first, and she is second. Take care of your kids. Clothe them. Feed them. Nurture them. Love them. Your kids should hear words like, I love you, multiple times a day. I've said this a thousand times. If you say, I'm not built like that, well, change how you're built. Change some things about yourself so you can express love to your kids. Because if you don't express love to your kids, they will find it somewhere. They will find acceptance somewhere. They will find someone to tell them that they love them. Take care of your kids. Let them be involved in sports, all the stuff and activities. Just don't let it infringe on your family priorities or your God priorities. Do all those things. Just don't not do your marital relationship 
Your spouse comes only after God. I'm, I'm going to rush through this next part a little bit, but I want to sp- talk specifically to men. Men, God called us to lead. As Uncle Ben said, with great power comes great responsibility. And the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. If you want to be a godly husband and a godly leader, here's your verse. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There it is. That's godly leadership. Jesus led through love. He loved, he gave. It's that simple. He loved, he gave. He gave everything. He gave friends. He gave gave comfort. He gave his future. He gave every single thing that he could give. Men, we have two primary responsibilities, our relationship with God and our relationship with our wife. Those are our two primary responsibilities. They are first. So keep God first. Come to church. Serve in church. Model what a godly man is. Let your, let your wife see you be a godly man. Let your kids see you be a godly man. Model that for them. Pray for them. Pray with them. Pray with them. Is it a moment of vulnerability? Absolutely is. But you have to do this. Model this for them. Teach and model godliness, not worldliness. Men, we're called to be protectors of our home, providers for our home. The Bible says that if we don't provide for our own, we're worse than an infidel. That's an unbeliever. We have to provide in every sense of that word, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. We are providers for our home. We're called to be protectors in every sense. And if I went around the room to every married man in this room that has a family under their roof, and I asked you, If somebody broke into your house tonight at 1 o'clock in the morning, would you do everything that you could do to protect your family? And I would overwhelmingly, resoundingly get yeses. You may have a plan in place if that happens. You may have weapons, baseball bats and shoes, whatever it is that you want to use. You may have stuff staged throughout the house. I know people like this. That that you have things like, if it happens here, I got this. If it happens here, I got this. And and we have a, a plan to evacuate. All those things, you have things in place to protect your family. You would do whatever is necessary. But here's the deal. The chances of someone breaking into your home and harming your family, are they there? Yes, but they're minuscule. Remote chances that someone would ever break into your home and harm your family. But, everybody say but. There are things that are breaking down our marriages. And there are things that are breaking into our homes. And we're letting them. It may not be a physical person kicking down your door. It may not be someone coming in and grabbing one of your kids. It may not be anything like that, but... We're letting things break into our homes that are taking our priorities that, that God has established in our lives, and it's, it's messing them up. It's putting them out of order. Societal values about family, about marriage, and about life. They're messing up what God has established and put in order. Social media is it's just degrading our homes and our families. It's corroding them. You may need to put the phone away a little bit. 
If your wife or your husband can't talk to you without the phone being and scroll, stop, scroll, stop, scroll, stop, or game, 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 or whatever it is that you do, if you can't have a conversation without the phone, the third person being there, or if you're both doing it, the fourth person being there, put them away. Just stop for a minute. Don't let... If, if Tawana's talking to me, I, I don't, I'm not always great at this. And somebody's texting me or there's a social media notification or an email. Who gets a lot of email? You get lots and lots of email? Yes. And I'm, I'm kind of OCD. I can't stand to have notifications on my phone. They have to go away. I can't stand to have red numbers anywhere on my phone. I have to address them. I may not respond, but I have to clear the notifications. So if I'm looking down at my, at my email account, it has 72 email. I got to take care of that. And I do. But if she's trying to have a conversation with me and I'm trying to clear my email... I'm telling her right then, if I won't stop doing what I'm doing, I'm telling her right then that my email is more important than what she has to say. If she comes into a room and I'm watching a TV show, if I don't hit pause, I'm telling her that my basketball game I'm watching is more important than what she has to say. And it's college basketball. It's, it's almost March Madness, y'all. There's basketball on from 6 to 1 o'clock in the morning because you can watch West Coast games. You see what I'm saying? There, there are things that have become norms. I struggle with notifications. I, I, that's just who I am. They have to be cleared. But if I don't pause that, put that down, turn that off, I'm sending a message that what I am doing is more important than what she is saying or what she needs from me at that moment. And if I do that repeatedly, once may be all right, but if I do that repeatedly, I've sent that message and I'm doing nothing but growing more distant and more distant and more distant from my wife. So put the phone down. I believe these things right now are the biggest problems we have in marriages. You can have an affair and never see the person face to face with this. You can pay bills. You can order food. You can pay your car insurance. You can schedule. I had somebody come to my driveway and put a windshield in my daughter's car and never left the house. People will come to your house and wash your car. You can get your groceries delivered. That's a beautiful thing. All he delivers. Beautiful. But this thing right here, put it down. Establish your priorities and don't let the things that so easily come in our lives, don't let them destroy what God has put together. See, it's, it's, not, it's not the fear of me going out and finding a girlfriend. That's a major thing. It's not going to happen. But this, this time and attention and neglect... All the things that this can bring can certainly erode my marriage without me ever intending for anything to happen. See, the Bible says the little foxes are the ones that spoil the vine. 
It's not the big ones, the big, nasty, scary ones. It's the small ones that over time, repeated nipping, repeated chipping away, repeated erosion, those are the things that mess up our lives. We can't neglect our relationship. It's got to be right under our relationship with Jesus Christ. Put your spouse's needs. Put your spouse's comfort. Men, I'm talking to you still, but it goes for everybody. How did Jesus put our needs compared to his? He put us above himself. God, marriage, children, career. It's all about priorities. If I'm not putting God first, I'm not as good of a husband or a father that I need to be. And as I get farther from God, I become more selfish and I become more self-centered. See, the closer I get to him, the less selfish I become. Because it becomes less about me and more about others. It gets my priorities in order. I can't be a good or godly person if I'm selfish and self-centered. But if I, if I am a godly person, if I am seeking him first, I become less selfish, less self-centered. And I'm a better husband. I'm a better dad. I'm a better pastor. And I'm a better friend. So your homework for this week is this. First and foremost, if there isn't anything physically preventing you from being here this weekend, if you can't afford 25 bucks, please tell me. We can work around that. But if there isn't anything physically preventing you from being here this Friday night and this Saturday, make it a what? A priority. To work on you. To help your relationship to make you the person that you need to be, to make your relationship what it needs to be. So as we stand here today, I want that your homework this week is this. I want you, you may still have your vows written down somewhere. You may have them recorded. You may have video. We got a VHS tape. Yep, it's been a minute. We have a VHS tape. Think about the vows that, if you're married, think about the vows that you stood before God and before your family and friends and you repeated to your spouse. And I want you to ask yourself, meditate on this this week. Am I fulfilling the vows that I committed to in front of God and my family? Because we all take a vow. I want us to, you don't have to call me, email me, text me. Just see where you stand. And give yourself an honest assessment. Remember what we said. We're not going to put this off on anybody else. You're really not doing what you said you would do in front of God. It's not about that. This is about me saying, am I doing what I said I would do when I stood before God and I repeated those words? Am I that person? Am I better? Am I worse? Where am I? So let's, I, I, I wish today that, that everybody that calls Life Center home, everybody that comes here on a weekly basis, I want us to rise up today. I want us to live against the grain. What do I mean by that? See, society says if, if, if she doesn't make you happy, find a new one. If he doesn't make you happy, go find someone that will make you happy. There are going to be times in my life where I don't make her happy. And she's going to be really angry with me. And there are going to be times where I'm angry with her. But that doesn't give me the right to take the vow that I spoke to her in front of God and say, mm, I'm mad at you. This isn't working. I'm not happy. 
we just have too many differences. Let's find somebody else. That's what I mean by live against the grain. Let's live out a committed lifestyle. Let's live out a covenant lifestyle with our spouse. Let's commit to being godly men and godly women. Let's commit to being godly husbands and godly wives by putting God first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Put God first. Put your spouse second. And if you do that, I bet they're happy to be second. Because you're going to be the person that they need you to be. And God's going to bless your marriage. So put God first. Put your spouse second. Don't become a child-centered marriage. And fight, 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 fight for your marriage. Under Armour has the theme, protect this house. That should be the battle cry for all husbands and all wives. Protect this house. How? By putting God first. Seeking him and letting everything else come second to that.